The Gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you, need, what do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling came near him. And when he saw the man, he was moved with pity. He went to the man and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought the man to an innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. So, uh, this week I heard uh, Jesus ask the question, Who is, or Jesus being asked the question, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then tells the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. He tells the story of the man who was beaten and robbed and passed by by two good church folks. Um, sometimes when we talk about Pharisees and Levites and chief priests and scribes and all those people, we, uh, we tend to cast them in a bad light. We tend to, to say, well, these are the people who you don't want to imitate because look at how mean they were to Jesus. And it's true, they were mean to Jesus. They, they plotted against him and they planned against him and they, they wanted to get rid of him and eventually they plotted to and carried through his, his murder. And, uh, you know, so obviously they they were not always walking the straight and narrow. The other, the other part of the story of the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes and elders is that these are the good church folks. You know, these are the people who are the leaders in the synagogue. These are the people who are teaching the law. These are the people who are teaching kids Sunday school. They're the people who are on the building committee. They're the people who are on the church council. They're the, in fact, they're the convening council that, that governs the synagogue. You know, these aren't necessarily bad people. They do some crummy things. But these are, these are people who everyone else in the community typically looks up to. The other, the other thing I think is important to remember about these people is that uh, they didn't just get angry at Jesus in a vacuum. Jesus was, was somebody who always wanted to change things. You know, he, he was always looking to tell people, this is the, you know, you do it this way. But God is calling us to do it this way. He's the one who, if you were putting carpet in, would say, well, that's a nice color carpet, but I'd really prefer it to be that color, right? He's, he's the one who walked into the temple and saw that they were, they were selling things and turned over the tables. Now, I want, I want you to stop and think for a moment. If someone walked into the beach retreat fundraiser, and I'm not casting this in the same light as what they were doing in the temple. I encourage you to bring your money and your credit cards and your debit cards for the beach retreat fundraiser. But if he were to walk in there and he were to turn the table over on Charles, 
and say, why are you making my father's house into a marketplace for the sake of Isle of Palms, which is comfortable and fun to stay at? You know, how, how far would, would he get before people started to get angry with him? You know, Jesus was somebody who was always stirring things up and stirring the pot. And so if we think about what it, was like to have, what it would be like to have Jesus as a member of our congregation, all of a sudden the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees start to look like much more reasonable people. That's, that's really kind of the point of the Gospels, is, is not that there is this super evil, super villain kind of group, the, the League of Evil, that was just waiting on the Word of God to come into their midst and squash whatever God wanted to say. The moral of the story of the Gospels is for us to see these scribes, these Pharisees, these council members, these, these building committee people, these altar guild members, and recognize ourselves and then and realize that what God was coming to work in the world is something that all of us become uncomfortable with. It's something that all of us would become frustrated with and do become frustrated with because what God declares is that everybody is part of God's kingdom. What God declares is, I love what I create, all of it, without exception. And we as human beings excel in creating groups, in creating inside and outside, in, in the cycle of violence where those who don't have power eventually gain power and commit violence against people who don't have power, who then gain power, who commit acts of violence, and so on and so on and so on. You know, we excel at being people who are on the outside, who become people on the inside, who then create different categories of people on the outside. We are so good at excluding people. And it's just kind of part of every culture and every nation, and every congregation, and every social group, and every denomination, and everywhere we go, we are suspicious of those people over there to the point where there are now congregations all over the place. Not in the Lutheran tradition, of course, because we do such a good job all the time of including everybody, right? But in, but in other traditions, there are places where they're suspicious if you don't go to that congregation, and think those people over there probably aren't even going to the same heaven as we are. You know, a, a great example of this, and let me just say, first off, I don't care where you're on the political spectrum. This is true all over. Where we say, you know, we're right, and those people over there are stupid. You know, we have the right idea, and those people over there are just lost. And it seems like we have gotten to be so good at this that we think it's normal, and we think it's good, and we think it's just... And we think sometimes that it's God-ordained that we do this. And not only that, but we have gotten so good at this that almost every person throughout history who has gained momentum in saying that God loves everybody and all means all, we found some way to murder them. We have found some way to, to silence them. We have found some way to get them out of the way because that is so dangerous to the status quo, this idea that all means all, and that God, meet, God loves everybody, and when God says everybody, he means everybody. And we've gotten so good at that, that we've turned God into a bully. We've turned God into someone who constantly says inside and outside. We've turned God into somebody who says, 
And this isn't actually God. This is what, the, what I call the American Christian cult talks about God as. God is so angry that he wants to destroy us. Except for those people who happen to agree with what he says, right? If we were in any other kind of relationship where if you didn't agree with what the person said, that they, then they were going to burn you and kill you, we'd call it abuse and we'd tell you to run. When, when God looks like an abuser, when, when God looks like the worst of our relationships because of the, the popular theology that goes on in America, you know, all of a sudden we realize just how good we are at creating groups, at creating clusters, at creating cliques, at creating the insiders and the outsiders so much to the, to the point where even our concept of eternal life and salvation and heaven is dependent on the fact that there's going to be some people who are left out. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't have the right to judge. I'm saying that because of who I am, I don't have a right to figure out who those people are who are on the inside or the outside. What I hear through the Gospels, through Jesus, through the Bible, is that my call is to love my neighbor in the way I love myself. And what I realize by seeing how Jesus is and by seeing what he commands us to do and by seeing my own life is that part of the reason I am so bad at loving my neighbor is because a lot of times I don't love myself very well. A lot of times I'm just as angry, just as frustrated, just as broken over what I do as I am with anything anyone else does. Because what I, what I see in my own life, despite my best efforts, is Good conversations, theoretically, with my wife will turn into arguments from time to time. And I know, it's crazy, right? <laughs> She's just as stunned as everybody else. You know, theoretically, friendships have been ruined because of things that I've said. You know, it, it's amazing the way that works out. All means all in terms of our brokenness, too, right? And so when... When I hear this question asked, you know, just who is my neighbor by a guy who's looking for a loophole, and I can identify with this guy because I'm always looking for a loophole too. Like, I want to do what Jesus says, but I also want to not have to do it very hard sometimes. So I, you know, I'm, I am, I admit, I'm looking for the, for the path of least resistance like water, right? So when I, when I hear uh, of things like Charleston last year, where nine people were murdered in a church by somebody who's a member of a local Lutheran congregation. Now, he was, a, he was an estranged member and hadn't been to church for a long time, and so we can say, obviously, you know, he's not a part of us, but you know what? He went to confirmation camp like other people in middle school. You know, he, he had some background. You know, when I hear of, of things like Orlando, where, where somebody guns down 49, 50 people, because of their sexual orientation. And, and maybe not even just because he had a real grudge against gay people, but also because he might have been actually struggling with his own sexuality too. You know, how often do we live out our own pain by lashing out people that share the pain that we share, right? When I, when I hear about more unarmed people, specifically unarmed black people being shot by police officers, you know, when I, when I hear about police officers who are gunned down. You know, this question of who is my neighbor in a world that is this broken and this violent, all of a, all of a sudden becomes so much more relevant 
and, and so much more poignant because I'm somebody too who when I hear about people doing these kinds of things, I want to say, well, I don't know about everybody else, but they're on the outside. You know, I remember after 9-11, one of my first words out of my mouth after I realized that it was something that they did on purpose was, I guess it's time to go make a lake somewhere because those are the evil people, right? Those, those are the people we're supposed to be against. And, and let's make no myth about it. You know, in, in this nation, we do do some very good things. And I think in a lot of ways, we embody the values that I have a lot better than, than other nations have throughout history. But we are not always the hero. And we also do some very terrible things as well. I think, I think that's part of what it, what it means to think about, you know, who is my neighbor, is to think about what kind of neighbor am I being? How is it that I'm acting like a neighbor? How, how is it that I'm living out my neighborliness to the people around me? Because we think about the, the Levite, we think about the priest who walked by the man who was beaten and robbed, and, and we realize that probably Jesus wasn't saying those people to describe bad people. Jesus was saying this to describe people who we usually think of as good. You know, you think of a pastor, and even though sometimes when you think of specific pastors, you may have other opinions, but in, in general, when you think of a pastor, you think of someone who's a pretty decent person, right? You think of somebody who, who typically tries to do the right thing. You think of someone who typically wants to lead other people in doing the right thing, I hope. But, but we're human. You know, when we, I remember growing up when I heard the word president, the word president was a much more positive word than it seems to be right now, right? They were someone who we were supposed to look up to, someone we were supposed to aspire to be, someone who, would, who was supposed to be not just a political leader, but somehow a moral leader as well. And when we, when we see pastors and we see presidents and people who we expect to not just have the political power, but also to be moral figures as well, and they fall and they fail and they do bad things, it disappoints us even more. What Jesus was pointing out in this parable of the Good Samaritan is that it's not just this priest, this Levite, who would walk by this person left on the side of the road half dead, but any of us could do it. We confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not loved you with our whole heart. It's the confession we all say or in variant forms every week. And the reason we say it is so that we can remember that we share in a brokenness, that we share in this exclusivity, that we share in the leaving out and the separating and in the breaking and in the, the tearing down of the things that God builds up. Because so often we choose our own comfort, we choose our own will, we choose our own convenience, we choose our own hopes and desires above the things that God calls us to. And instead of loving and building up and, and supporting the people that we're called to love and build up and support, we tear them down and we leave them out and we break them and we kill them and we leave them for dead. The good news, because God, I need some good news this week, is that as we say in the, in the absolution, the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us.
And for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And we hear the good news that sin is our problem. Sin is not God's problem. God's problem is not excluding people. God's problem is not breaking us into factions. God's problem is not the breaking down and the, and the throwing away. But God calls us and claims us and compels us through the waters of baptism to recognize that sin is our problem and God welcomes us into a life of love where we are not bound and captive and in bondage to our problem, where we can recognize that God loves us for who we are, where we are, our whole selves. Not that God likes our sin, but God knows us. God knows we're broken, and God loves that broken space too. God knows us and knows that we're going to hate people from time to time, and God loves us in that space too. We, we have a myth in America that love is blind. We have an, a myth in America that, you know, every, everything just has to all look the same and be the same. And we, we sing and talk about and say, everybody's all the same and there's no difference. But you know what happens when we say everybody's all the same and there's no difference? We ignore the very thing that makes us individuals who God loves. Christianity is unique in the sense that we're not all going to be subsumed in the divine where we lose our individuality and we're all part of the great cosmic kumbaya. God is coming here to restore this place and renew this place and recreate these people, us. And we aren't consumed by the divine, but God loves us as individuals for eternity. And we maintain who we are and what we are and where we are. We're just the versions of ourselves that God has always imagined we could be. So love is not blind. Love sees color. And love sees gender. And love sees sexual orientation. And love sees our brokenness. And loves us anyway. Now, God doesn't call us to remain in those places where we're broken and hurting other people. God calls us to repent and change. Because love does that too. But God recognizes who we are and loves all of us. And all means all. Whether our name is Dylan Roof or whether we're someone who's struggling and shoots 49 people in a nightclub or whether we're somebody who's reacting to the cultural pain of 300 years of racial injustice and goes on a sniping spree with police officers or whoever we are, wherever we are. The good news of the gospel that I see throughout Jesus' ministry is that God is always breaking down those barriers that separate us to bring us in. And ultimately, that's the reason the scribes and the chief priests and the Pharisees killed Jesus. It's because they just can't imagine a world, a world where they're not the heroes of their own story. They can't imagine a world where the Samaritans can be equal to the Jewish people, or a woman caught in adultery could be equal to our, to our good church-going people, or a Syrophoenician woman could be someone who gets the, the gifts of God, or take and pick any person that we would normally leave out who Jesus goes and sits with and eats with and helps and redeems and renews and restores. 
And our call in the world is to live out the truth that we are God's people who are called to share this love with the people around us. This love that breaks down the barriers, that tears down the walls, that says there is no us in them, but in God there is only us. A love that is so strong and so real that when God speaks, things come into existence. Even though we can't imagine what that new existence might look like. You know, what's it, what's it look like in a world where... We, where color is no longer a barrier, where orientation is no longer a barrier, where any of that's a, no longer a barrier. I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine. It makes me uncomfortable. And sometimes it makes me angry, and sometimes it makes me frustrated because I'm in bondage to sin and can't free myself too. But God calls us to imagine. What does it look like when we walk out of this door and we preach that gospel to this world the world that is hurting and broken and craving the knowledge that God has a plan for it that includes the world too. That God, has a, that God has a love and a message and a place for the people who feel like they don't have any place or for the people who feel like they own the place or for the people who have trouble imagining them any place. How is it that people will look at our lives and our words and our actions and see God through us in a way that helps them to imagine a place for them too? Amen. This time I invite the children to be seat or the congregation to be seated and the children to come up for our children's chatter. is that that you've got? You just don't want to tell me. That's okay. Good morning, y'all. How are you? Good? Y'all good? Oh, good. Hi. It's good to see y'all this morning. Today in the gospel lesson, we hear Jesus say something that is very important. He says that we're supposed to, to love our neighbors as ourselves and that, that mercy is something that God values, Right? So, so here's a question. Who, who is your neighbor? What's that mean to have a neighbor? Your friends. Your friends are your neighbors, right? Yes. Who else are your neighbors? Um, your, family? Your, cousins. your family? Your cousins, yeah. And your babies. Your babies are your neighbors, yeah. Who else are our neighbors? Sisters and brothers. Sisters and brothers. How about, and this is, this is the like, real definition how about people who live next door to us is the way we kind of talk about it now, right? So people who live next door to us are our literal neighbors. And, but, but yeah, I think y'all actually have a better definition than what's in the dictionary, which is family and friends and brothers and sisters and cousins and all those people. But the story that Jesus tells is about a man who gets beaten up by bullies and then left on the side of the road because they were really mean. And then a stranger comes and helps the man. Do you, do you think that this stranger was, was a neighbor to, to the man who was beaten up? Yeah. Because what, is a, what does a neighbor do? Helps them. A neighbor is someone who helps. What else does a neighbor do? Um, help your friends and, and help you. 
help your friends and they help you. Yeah. So neighbors, it, being a neighbor is being in a relationship together, right? Like and superheroes don't need help. Superheroes don't need help. Have you, have you never heard of the Justice League or the Avengers? The Justice League and the Avengers are groups of superheroes who get together to fight bad guys because they need help too. Even superheroes need. And there was one time, well, more than one time, when Superman lost his powers and he needed help from other people, right? So even superheroes need help. Because he was running real fast. Yeah? Was he running faster than he'd ever run before? That's, <laughs> that's what Flash does. I know it. The Hulk is always bamming something, isn't he? But even, even superheroes need help. And even superheroes need family, right? And one of the things that we see in Jesus, and Jesus is someone... Oh, I'm, well, I'm glad that you helped me understand that. But I think the superheroes need families, too. That's why Batman's so sad, because he doesn't have any family. But, so... We can, we can debate Batman after church. So what we see in Jesus, though, too, is even Jesus needs family, right? Jesus, one of the first things that he does in the Gospels is he goes out and asks people to follow him, Peter and James and John and all the rest, and he says, follow me. And they follow. And we see Jesus do lots of thing, things with these people. Sometimes Jesus is teaching and preaching, but a lot of times... We hear the, the Bible talk about Jesus and his disciples walking down the road talking. Nah. Yeah, a lot of times we hear about Jesus eating with his disciples. We hear about Jesus going to church with his disciples. You know, what we learn from Jesus is that not only is it important to be a good neighbor, but it's also important to remember that they're part of our family. So when we run across strangers who, who are in need of help, they're part of our family. When we run across people who we don't like because they don't look like us or think like us or act like us, they're part of our family. In fact, one of the things that we learn from the Bible is that there really is no one who is not our neighbor. Everybody is our neighbor because everybody is someone who God loves and values. And because we love God, we try to love and value the same things that God loves and values. So if God loves everybody, we love everybody too even when they're hard to love. All right, why don't we take a moment and pray, and, uh, and you all can repeat after me, all right? Let's pray. God, thank you for showing us about our neighbors. Thank you for showing us about our neighbors. Thank you for teaching us to love them. Thank you for teaching us to love them. And thank you for helping us to love them back. Help us to remember that you love everybody. There you go. And because of that, we love everybody too. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you all for coming up. You can go back to your seats. Are you getting ready to make the jump? Be careful.
I'd really prefer you walk down the stairs. It's okay. Okay. I understand I used to jump down the stairs too. My knees hurt when I do that now. That's a good slide. He's sliding across the floor. Here, let's see how fast you can get there. How fast can you get... No, no, he, he's tuckered out. He gave up. He's like, y'all go on without me. <clears throat> Sorry, my, my ADD will kick up if I start before. <laughs> oh, it's okay, Dad, just drag me. <laughs> 